Greetings, Soma Church. Grace and peace to you, wherever you are listening to this today. Thanks for tuning in to uh, another conversation here between the Soma Northwest pastors. Uh, I am Pastor Bobby. I'm joined by Pastor Nate. Nate, good to see you. Woo! And <laughs> Pastor Andrew. Welcome back, Andrew. Thanks, Bobby. Glad to be back. Yes, as always. I'm sorry um, for the woo-woo. I, I like actually temporarily forgot what we were doing for a second. We've been chatting for a while, so like I forgot that this is like actually a formal thing, and then I... I was I was just doing my my typical <laughs> casual greeting. Peace be unto you, brother Bobby. <laughs> so this, we, is the, this is the raw, unfiltered content that people you can, we can ed, we, we can edit around that, week. right? I I have no idea. No, we we really no probably idea. can't. No. <laughs> Uh, well, if you have uh, been listening by now, you know that each week we have been taking some time to discuss what we would have been preaching on Sunday mornings. And uh, I don't know about you all who are listening, but I know the three of us have really enjoyed uh, this format. It's been really, really encouraging for us um, just in uh, thinking about some of these things uh, and having to communicate them in a different way. Um, And uh, so it's been it's been not only encouraging for us personally, uh, but I know for me, it's also been uh, really shaping as I've had to think about how to communicate these truths uh, in a different way than standing up on Sunday morning and and speaking and proclaiming them. We are uh, continuing on this morning in our series looking at the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And the last few weeks, we have been looking at the gifts of the Spirit. And when we think about spiritual gifts, we're talking about the visible and vocal displays of God's power in human form, Um, the manifestations of the Spirit, as the Apostle Paul defines the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. And God wants his people to experience his love for us. And he has empowered each of us to express this love, to express his love in different ways. And Nate and I were talking about this before we started in uh, recording. Nate, it seems like a, a lot of times when we hear teaching on the spiritual gifts or read about the spiritual gifts that love is is tacked on yeah. at the end that hey here's a deep dive into all the spiritual gifts and oh by the way make sure that you're loving each other while you're using your spiritual gift but as we've looked at the scriptures and as we've looked at Paul's encouragement particularly with the spiritual gifts um we see that that that's that's we've inverted the yeah. importance Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think that if you actually even look at the current moment that we're in, right, the, the crisis that we're in, the fact that churches aren't able to meet with all of the same uh, meetings and rhythms and all of the sort of structures and practices that we've built up. And I'm not just talking about Northwest. I'm just I'm talking about church in general, right? Everybody's had to make some kind of change. And I think that 
if you're looking for signs of God being at work or what God might want to be doing through this, one of those signs is that because those structures that we have have sort of melted away for the time being, it's, it can open our eyes to the fact that God wants his people to love each other. Because a lot of the structures that we've built up around church, and I'm talking about whether it's Sunday morning, if you go to a church with Sunday school, whether it's you know, Wednesday night, these are kind of like old school kind of meetings, but lots of churches have them. These structures uh, come up and then people end up serving those structures, right? People need to do certain activities to keep up and support those structures as opposed to the structures developing organically to create ways for us to love each other. And a lot of the structures we, we build up, they're borrowed from literally hundreds, if not thousand years back in the history of the church and we've just kind of carried them forward and just done stuff as opposed to creating a context in which people can love each other and manifest the spirit and the spirit will help people love each other in a variety of different ways so in other words we end up having these needs to support our structures as opposed to structures as a way of uh, creating opportunities for love. So now that those structures are at least temporarily melted away, we have an opportunity now as a church to find creative and new and innovative ways for the spirit to have us love each other uh, because we still need each other and we still have to have ways of interacting. So now whether it's we're doing podcasts instead of doing a Sunday morning service, uh, that's kind of a simple one, right? And and as we have different voices do some of these different podcasts, whether it's this particular one, or if you go on the Soma page, you'll see there's actually been between the three congregations, a ton of, there's a ton of content on the Soma website right now with lots of voices from different people in the church. And as our structure sort of <laughs> been taken away from us, we've now had more opportunities to bring people in to manifest love on a wide variety of topics. Yeah. And, you know, that is, that's just what we do here. <laughs> you know, that that's the trap that we often fall into is that we, we just overstructure things. And, um, you know, we talked about this a few weeks ago is that, you know, it is, incumbent upon us as pastors who are responsible for shepherding and guiding our churches that we encourage people to love the body that we encourage people to love uh the people of god and that when people are choosing for whatever reason to you know kind of lay back or allow just assume that other people are going to do things, other people are going to meet needs, other people are going to step into this void, that that affects the entire body from operating as it should. It affects our health. It affects our ability to truly reflect God as he is. And so, you know, I think that is a challenge that is continually before us as pastors, is that we make sure that nobody's getting boxed out. Uh, that nobody is is having to uh, work extra hard to just find a place to love other people and to serve other people in our bodies. And I think, um, yeah, just we're, we're, we always fight. We always fight that pull towards 
uh, institutionalized church, structured church, businessy like church, um, and uh, this, if if anything, this look at the spiritual gifts over the last few weeks has uh, been convicting for me and uh, thinking about. Man, this is something that. Uh, this is a pull, this is a gravitational pull that's always going to be there. And so it's something that we need to be aware of and make sure that we're continually pushing um, folks in an encouraging way to love the body, um, to serve the body, and to show God to each other. Um, last week, we started our look at the miraculous or the sign gifts, whatever however you want to classify these gifts. Uh, we, we looked at the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. And this week, we are going to take uh, a deeper look into the gift of prophecy, the gift of prophecy. And much like tongues, prophecy, um, I think, is a bit misunderstood. Uh, I think how we define prophecy and what most people in the church um, think of when they hear the word prophecy is not exactly how the the Bible defines prophecy, and it's not exactly how we see prophecy. And so we there's a lot of different ways that we could go with this. There's a lot of different things that we could uh, really parse out in this discussion. Um, but we are going to try to uh, be very clear um, about what prophecy is from the scripture. And then specifically, uh, what does that look like for us today in the church? Um, and so I want to start uh, in Hebrews chapter one. The writer of Hebrews begins his letter with this phrase um, that God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. And so, guys, I want to start with this question. Where do we see prophecy in the scripture, both in the Old Testament and in the New? So I'll go ahead and take the Old Testament. And Andrew, if you want to jump in on the New Testament, um, I love that verse. And I think that, Bobby, that's a great verse to start with, right? Because it calls out that there's a lot of different things that are um, considered prophecy in scripture, that it's not one narrow thing. It's not, you know, having a vision and seeing the, you know, 2000 years into the future. That was one thing that happened that was called prophecy, but that wasn't most of what prophecy was. And the Old Testament uh, prophecy uh, extended from things like uh, Miriam singing, uh, Saul dancing, <laughs> dancing around naked in First Samuel 19, Nathan looking at David and saying, you are that man. Uh, Isaiah condemning uh, drunkenness, selfishness, uh, the building up of huge estates at the expense of the people, and uh, declaring legal accusations as the people violated God's law. Oh yeah, and also Ezekiel saw a wheel within a wheel and Daniel had angels come and lay out the entirety of human history to him. Those things are all those things were prophecy and those are the ones that were sort of most spectacular and we think of them like, oh, but it was also the prophets uh, looking at the world around them and sort of as uh, Jonah was saying to Nineveh, you know, Nineveh is going to be overthrown. 
sometimes that took the form of really specific message from God, hey, the end is near. And sometimes it was, look at all of the sin and all the ways you're violating the law. That law came with blessings and curses. You are invoking curses and not blessings because of your actions. And that isn't necessarily like they needed God to rip the heavens open and show them that. It was just they had the law and they could look at it and be like, oh, the law says if we oppress everybody and we exploit uh, foreigners, widows, and orphans, pestilence, plague, and disease, and foreign armies are going to come to our nation. And hey, look at all these oppressed widows and look at all the bloodshed. Uh-oh, I think maybe pestilence, plague, and disease, and foreign armies are going to come to our doorstep. And, and that is just the Old Testament prophets looking at the law and applying it to people's lives. Yeah, so there, and I think that's important to point out is that, you know, so often when people think of prophecy, that last thing that you mentioned about, you know, uh, prediction and, um, you know, looking into the future, uh, that's kind of the primary thing that people think about. But actually, when you look at like all of those things that you listened uh, or that you listed, you know, the prophet was a covenant enforcer, you know, rebuking sin and calling for repentance. Uh, the prophet was an intercessor. He prayed on behalf of the nation of Israel, on behalf of individuals. The prophet was a rememberer. He, he reminded people of what God had done and why they should still trust him and not forget get his promises. Um, the prophet at times was a private counselor. He consulted with kings. He brought comfort. He brought warning. Um, the Psalms are filled with words from prophets leading uh, the people in worship and in, in, in adoration of God. And then, you know, yeah, the prophet was uh, a, a bit of a futurist. <laughs> he would look in the future and announce judgment or predict uh, events. But that, that's a very small portion of really what the prophet was doing. And so, yeah, I think as we look at the Old Testament, maybe a good definition for a prophet is someone who is called to communicate the revealed word of God um, to the people to keep watch over the people, to apply God's law to the present situation. And so as we make that transition from old to new, Andrew, uh, where do we see prophecy in the New Testament? It's interesting to me that uh, even to even to structure it this way to say here's here's prophecy and how it is uh seen and revealed in the old testament now here's prophecy and how it's seen and revealed in the new testament because there is so much continuity uh between the old testament and the new testament what god's That's doing right. th through prophecy in the old testament is the same thing he's doing through prophecy in the new testament with the exception being that in the old testament is in the context of the old covenant the new testament it's in the context of the new covenant in jesus blood and Jesus is the prophet that the Old Testament prophets were pointing away toward. So Jesus, Jesus is the fulfillment, uh, not only of the prophecies that were spoken in the Old Testament, um, but he was the fulfillment of the role of prophet himself. Um, so it's, it's interesting as we make the transition into the New Testament, uh, you get folks like John the Baptist, Anna, um, kind of help us make that transition by being 
uh, new covenant prophets in a, in a similar way to the Old Testament prophets. Uh, you think about John the Baptist and his uh, life and ministry in the wilderness and the, the funny clothes and the funny diet and all those sorts of things and sort of this kind of mystical. Um, yeah, I think it's just he embodies well what we think of when we think of prophet, this kind of strange man with a very specific ministry, um, you know, doing these kinds of things. But then as you progress beyond Jesus' life, we get into the, um, the book of Acts, um, you see God's people speaking God's word, uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit explicitly. In, in, I mean, it just in these examples in Acts with Philip's daughters, Agabus, Barnabas, you see them speaking by the Spirit or speaking the words of the Spirit, even saying things like, thus says the Spirit of God. Um, to God's people, either uh, uh, applying God's law or, uh, you know, predicting future uh, suffering and things like that. Um, but it's the same, it's the same use case in the Old Testament, the New Testament, that God is revealing himself through his revealed word to his people for the building up of his people. And so in response to some of the New Testament prophecies, you see things like um, Paul going into Jerusalem uh, right after it was just prophesied that it was not going to go well for him there. <laughs> um, so you see God's people built up and bolden um, as God's spirit reveals his word to them through his people and his prophets. I think that that is a really, really important thing to hone in on when we look at the scriptures we need to ask ourselves, what is the essence of prophecy? You know, uh, Hebrews, Hebrews 1 tells us that uh, not only did the prophets prophesy at many times, but they prophesied in many ways. And I think that the many ways we can get lost in the weeds with the many different uh, forms that prophecy takes in the scripture but when we come back to the essence of prophecy, as you said, Andrew, there, there is a continuity. Declaring God's word to his people. That has always been the function of a prophet, um, whether it is in the Old Covenant or in the New Covenant, whether um, it takes the form of, um, you know, Saul dancing naked or... Um, you know, uh, John the Baptist in the wilderness um, and, and John the Baptist baptizing uh, for, for repentance in the Jordan. You know, what, whatever the form takes, the essence is the same in both the old and the new. Um, so I was just going to say, the, the, another of the key verses there is, you know, Revelation 19.10. It says, then I fell down to worship him, but he said to me, you must not do that. I am your fellow servant and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So as you talk about that, that one unending purpose throughout Old and New Testament, throughout all of time, because this is now tracking all the way to the end of time in Revelation, and it is the testimony about Jesus that is the spirit of prophecy, so, which, again, makes sense because we're talking about the Holy Spirit, which is the spirit of Jesus, <laughs> and the ways in which the spirit of Jesus empowers the church to love one another. So it would make perfect sense that the spirit of Jesus would empower the church to love the body, you know, 
the body of Jesus with the testimony of Jesus. You know, like it's, it's, it all comes full circle back to that one thing. The, the spirit of prophecy is that gospel, that good news testimony of Jesus and what he's doing in the world. And we're going to come back to this passage here in a few minutes, a uh, passage that we were in a lot last week, 1 Corinthians 14. Paul talks a lot about how prophecy, uh, the, you know, how prophecy should, should happen within the gathering of God's people. But one of the things that he, one of the words, and, and we've hit it a few times here as we've, as we've talked already, one of the words he uses in here is revelation. And I think that that is a, that's a big, that's something I think we need to, to talk about for a few minutes as it relates to prophecy. Because as we've mentioned, I think a lot of people assume that the essence of prophecy is new revelation. Mm-hmm. Um, that when they look at, um, even in the Old Testament, when they look at the Old Testament prophets um, and reading the words of the Old Testament prophets, there is an assumption that what they are uh, prophesying about is a new revelation from God directly to them, a new word from God. And so that's honestly why a lot of people have been resistant and are resistant to prophecy in the church is because it's seen as a new revelation that's, um, that's outside of the scriptures. And so let's talk about that for a second. When, when we talk about revelation, uh, and, and receiving revelation from God from a biblical standpoint. What are we talking about? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's re- revelation, just even just outside the Bible, it's revealing things that are not seen or not clear, um, specifically in the context of prophecy, revelation and prophecy. It's revealing things from God's word about Jesus that aren't, maybe aren't clear or haven't, haven't been revealed. It's more application than revelation um, in that sense. It's, a, it's applying God's word and the, the message of Jesus that has already yeah. been revealed in ways that maybe haven't been applied. And, and it's important yeah. to, to realize, too, kind of to your point, Andrew, there's plenty of things that have been revealed, but that doesn't mean they've been revealed to you or to the person you're talking to, right? Like, God opens people's eyes to the person, the ministry, the reality of Jesus, the work of God, that happens all the time. And if you've never had your heart open to that, that is revelation to you. It's like, oh my gosh, this thing is now apparent that wasn't apparent before. And it's not that it was hidden to all of creation, that it was hidden to, you know, oh, this is a new thing that nobody's thought of in the last 4,000 years. But if you, you know, it, there used to be an old thing on NBC for reruns in the summer. If you haven't seen it, it's new to you, right? Like that was their way of trying to get people to, <laughs> to, to tune in to like old Seinfeld episodes or episodes of Friends that have aired three. Well, if you haven't seen it, it's new to you, right? Like that's the sense of Revelation too, in which um, the, the Spirit of God uses that spirit of prophecy through the believers to reveal not new things in the global sense, but things that are new to them that they haven't seen about Jesus before. And in that sense, it is a revelation. It is a revelatory prophecy 
because it's new to them. It's, it's new to me. If I haven't seen it in the word, when somebody ex- opens the word and shows it and explains it to me in a way I haven't understood before, that's revelation. That's, that's unveiling a mystery that was obscured. That's now clear. Yeah. And, and I think what's really interesting is when you look at the, a, a lot of what is prophesied in the scriptures concerning future events and future judgments, um, what you'll see is that the prophets were really, really good at recognizing patterns yeah. and interpreting those patterns, you know, and this is, this is where, this is where we've come from. This is where we are presently. And, you know, if, if we don't change course, this is how it's going to end up for us. Yes. If we do change course, this is what we can expect. And so a lot of it isn't this, I don't even know how to, how to define it. I, it's it's very clearly recognizing these patterns that have been true over and over and over and over and again and again concerning God's people concerning the world that we live in mm-hmm. and then interpreting those in the present moment and charting a course for the future and saying hey this is what we need to do this is where we need to go uh, this is how we need to be and how we need to live uh, in order to experience God's blessing. And if we don't, then we're going to experience uh, God's wrath. Think about the book of Proverbs that way, right? Like, so like, you know, I don't, I don't want to get like too inside baseball with people, but the book of Proverbs is a type of uh, literature that, that a lot of Old Testament scholars will call wisdom literature, right? And that's different than prophecy. It's a different it's written in a slightly different way. But when we think about the way that that Proverbs is written, all these like nuggets of wisdom and truth, like, hey, if you live wisely, these things are going to happen to you. And if you live foolishly, these things are going to happen to you. And we always talk about when teaching the book of Proverbs, this is it like a promise, right? Like the, the one of the most famous ones is train a child up in the way he should go. And when he's old, he won't depart from it right like well this is a this this isn't meant to be like a promise that you know if you if you're a good parent your kids will love jesus lord knows that would be uh in, in just impossible to 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 validate um instead it's a set of wisdom truths that are saying that recognize those patterns in life and are saying hey generally speaking when we do wise things things that are in line with God and his teaching. And we seek him first and his righteousness. He makes straight our paths. When you do these kinds of things, these kinds of things come out of it. I think that there's even a prophetic element to that book of Proverbs. And it actually becomes a very accessible way for people to start to understand prophecy. Oh, okay. He's telling my future, but not like telling my future like a fortune teller. He's just laying out these are a set of things that likely follow these sets of actions. And also the way of the fool is the way of destruction. And when people are, you know, chasing prostitutes in the street, it typically ends badly. What were you going to ask, Andrew? Sorry, I was just going to say that you see Jesus operating the same way in the Beatitudes. Yep. I mean, it reads very similarly to the, to the prophet. He's, he's unpacking God's law to God's people. Yep. Um, and it's, it's very much, um, you know, blessed are these kinds of people, um, for these reasons, you know? Yep. 
Yeah, and when you, when you think of the prophet as someone who over and over and over again was tasked to keep watch over God's people, um, then this this makes sense. It's you know the the prophet is someone who has an intimate relationship with God, who has eyes to see uh, what is going on in the present tense, and the ability to take uh, the the spirit empowered ability to communicate the revealed word of God into a situation for the good of the people, um, to lead people back to God, to help people see God, um, to, to, uh, you know, um, uh, to, to, to lay out, this is what life with God under the rule of God actually looks like. And we're either going away from that or we need to keep on moving towards that. Um, I want to ask, uh, you know, we have talked about um, when it comes to spiritual gifts, there can be a lot of um, hand-wringing within the church, uh, people eagerly desiring the gifts, which is good, but also obsessing over what their specific spiritual gift is. Um, and, 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 a lot of emphasis can be on, I've got to find my gift. And then when I find my gift, this is the way that I need to use it. And because this is my gift, then this is where I need to spend time. This is what I need to spend time doing. And if I get to all these other things, I will do it. Anyway, what we've seen is that's not how the spiritual gifts are presented at all in scripture. The spiritual gifts, as we talked about from the top, uh, are manifestations of the Spirit's power in order so in order that the people of God can experience God's love. And so essentially what we're doing is, and what we are called to do, been called to do by the Scripture, is love the people of God. And that as we are loving the people of God in all of these different ways, uh, some ways will become more frequent in opportunity, uh, and some ways will become more natural and more fruitful for different individuals. And so as we apply that to the gift of prophecy, what is the purpose of prophecy in the church today? And how do we relate that to uh, those who have the gift of prophecy and those of us, which is maybe you could argue is all of us are encouraged to prophesy. So let's dig into that for a few minutes. So going back to our earlier definition, right, about the whole idea that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The core essence of prophecy in the church today is the same as the core essence of prophecy has always been. Various times in various ways, the spirit of God is giving the testimony about Jesus uh, to uh, to the whole world. And I think especially given, you know, the, the word of Paul saying that, you know, prophecy is given to the church. Um, I think that the context is it's that work of the spirit that is testifying about Jesus, about what he wants, about uh, his, his power, his ministry to believers in the present time and day. And I think it uses many different components, the scripture being a, a primary one. But 
it pulls all of the different sort of sources together. And by sources, I mean the people, the circumstances that we're currently in, the, the, the word of God, the revelation of God and the created, uh, and the created order, um, the things the Spirit's saying to the individual person prophesying. It pulls all of those sort of voices of God together, and it speaks them in harmony to create a testimony about Jesus, ultimately, telling the church what it should do, how it should act, how it should function, how it should live. Um, it's, it's confronting sin. It's challenging false teaching. It's comforting, exhorting. It's preaching. But ultimately, it's the voice of Jesus to his church saying, hey, children, hey, hey, flock, this is, this is, this is what I want from you. You know, Jesus talks about it in, in John 10, right? My sheep hear my voice. And I think ultimately that spirit of prophecy is that voice of Jesus talking to the church saying, hey, come follow me. Um, do these things in my name. And just like any other spiritual gift, right? That it, that's an edification yeah. for the yeah. body. That's building up the body. So prophecy isn't its own separate thing that has a separate purpose. Nope. It oh. is just like gifts of tongues and generosity and healing and uh, preaching and t teaching and, you know, those different gifts. Yeah. The purpose and is to build up the body. And I think in the same way that throughout Scripture, there seems to be uh, a, dis a distinction or difference is almost like too strong a way to put it. It's a descriptive difference between lots of different individuals prophesy in Scripture. There are some people that are referred to as prophets, and I don't think that that's a uh, qualitative difference. You know, I don't think that because a prophet said something, it was somehow better than when, you know, Miriam sings, I think it's more just a quantitative difference, right? There are some people in whom prophecy manifests itself so regularly, so frequently, that that is the way that God's Spirit pours out through them, that they were just naturally identified as prophets, right? They are someone who speaks prophecy on a regular basis. And it, and it may be that in the church that that's not not like an office, not like a job, but just like a role, right? That there's members of our body that are attuned to God's word and attuned to the present circumstance. And the way God expresses his love for the church through them is a really consistent use of prophecy. And those people we would we would say, hey, that's a prophet. Not because the there's more weight to what they say, but because of the consistent nature in which they exercise the spirit of God comes out through that that sense of they're constantly confronting sin and challenging false teaching and comforting and exhorting you know like when somebody does that a lot you tend to apply that word to them uh, but it's something that could come through anybody at any time as the spirit wills it yeah all those things you just mentioned are things that every believer should be in some capacity engaged in every yeah. one of us should be confronting sin when we see that in our own lives and in the lives of people that we love. Everyone should be challenging false teaching when it, when it is, uh, yeah. when it's presented, everyone should be comforting and exhorting and teaching in some kind of capacity. Um, and again, that, this goes back to that, uh, that overall understanding of the gifts of like that all of us are called to interact with these I mean, this is just part of being an active member of the body of Christ. Yeah. I mean, we when, run into these things. 
and when someone has a, a unique facility for it, and when the church is particularly blessed, uh, I think about um, what Tamise does on a regular basis, right? She regularly uh, is exhorting the church uh, through worship, <laughs> through prayer. Uh, she's regularly uh, confronting things. That's something that we can look at and say, hey, we see somebody with a repeated facility for doing something, and we say, okay, that's a prophetess or that's a prophet uh, because that's a, there's a consistency to the way they're, they're exercising that gifts. Somehow that's gotten to be this like, you know, sort of highfalutin, almost like scary thing. Like, Oh, well the, the, the prophet said it. No, what makes the person, the prophet is that they're constantly saying what God says, you know, like the, the, what makes, uh, somebody's words consistently powerful is that they're consistently imbued with the spirit. It's not that they're a prophet, therefore I take more seriously what they say. It's what they consistently say has the spirit of God in it. Therefore, I look at them and say, hey, that's a prophet. <laughs> not because they hold some office or they've been given some title, but because every time they open their mouth, the spirit of God is coming out and challenging me. Yeah, to me, this is a really good example for talking about um, desiring the gifts too. Uh, because if you, if you know to at all, um, you know that she is not about uh, she's not about getting the gifts or or even exercising the gifts in a certain way. She's laser focused on knowing God's word and living it out and bringing others along in that. And that 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 desire it's a it's a slight distinction between desiring the gifts you know for for the gift's sake and desiring the gifts for the for the good of your faith and the faith of those around you. Um, it's just Tamisa's pursuit of those gifts is just really pure. And so I, I think um, if you really desire the gift of prophecy, do you desire the gift of prophecy so that you can prophesy or so that you can build up the church? Um, and it's just, yeah, Tamisa is just a really good example of that. I think of, of desiring gifts the right way. Um, God uses her a lot because she's really just focused on following God and bringing others along in that. Yeah, and, that, and that's a really important point, even when we're thinking about how we discern between those who are prophesying through the Spirit and those who aren't. And I think probably all of us have had an interaction with someone or, or multiple interactions with people who posture as a prophet, who want the authority uh, and respect of a prophet. Um, but it is very clear that what they're saying um, is not coming from a place of deep intimacy and awareness uh, of the Spirit's power and, um, and work in their lives. But it's coming from some other ulterior motive. And so, you know, how do we, how do we discern between uh, a, a true prophet of the spirit, someone who is operating out of the gift of prophecy given by the spirit and a false prophet. So I think if we pull together some of the things that we've said, the answer becomes pretty apparent. The first is a true prophet is going to be manifesting the love of God. 
So a true prophet is going to make you feel like God loves you. That is not the same thing as a true prophet's going to tell me nice things about myself, right? <laughs> Sometimes God's love is manifested for us in the fact that he's telling us, get your act together. You're screwing this, you know, you're screwing this up. So a true prophet is going to be somebody who's consistently telling us um, what God wants us to hear, good or bad, you know, whether we like that or not, whether it makes us happy or not, they're going to make us feel loved. Number two, a true prophet is going to be giving a testimony about Jesus. Ultimately, the spirit of prophecy in them is going to point us to Jesus Christ. And sort of part of that is then number three, a true prophet is going to tell you things that are in line with what the scriptures have already revealed. The scriptures are the revelation of the story of Jesus Christ from start to finish. So if a prophet is telling you something that is contradictory to what God has already revealed in his word, that's not a true prophet. That's somebody who's not working for our good. They're working against our good. I, I would also add that um, in terms of discerning uh discerning prophecy i would say just as a general rule it's much safer to do in the context of the local church or of your church yes. uh, this is it's just much safer to um hear and respond to prophecy in the context of your church and your fellowship um, which is to say that if you're if you're not part of a church body um, where believers are together discerning the things that you know the things that are being said um, against god's word um if you're not connected to that and you know listening online to someone or even reading books or things um it's yeah it's just much safer to do in the context of the church yeah and that's a good word andrew i mean i always talk about the the voices of god right that god speaks in harmony and he reveals himself in different ways um which are easy to misunderstand if taken in isolation from each other, right? Like it's one thing to say, well, everything in the scriptures is true, but my own understanding of what's in the scriptures may not be all that great. <laughs> Just because, you know, quote unquote, the Bible says it. Yeah, the Bible is always accurate. My understanding of what the Bible's trying to say to me is not always awesome. So I can't just read the Bible in isolation to everything else and think that solves my problem if I don't understand the Bible very well and I'm, and I, I, I'm not, I don't have any facility for it. I'm going to read all kinds of crazy stuff. Same thing with the spirit speaking in my heart. Well, yeah, there's other things speaking in my heart too. So just because I heard it in my heart doesn't make it, you know, <laughs> and you stack these things up, community being one of those things, you know, the voice of God in nature and my, and then also in my circumstance, uh, all of those things together help us discern what is true. And the voice of prophecy when done in the, the context of community becomes a really powerful uh, tool when taken out of the vo the context of community and it's just a person saying stuff it's really hard for me to judge its accuracy or effectiveness hopefully i'm going back to the scriptures and it's done close enough to the scriptures that i can understand what they're trying to say but that's not always the case sometimes it's just people you know speaking out and in, into the void and hoping that we we agree with them yeah yeah I think, and i mean i think that's the that's what we're what we deal with a lot today right i mean it, with the rise of our you know with discernment bloggers and you yes. know social social media quote unquote prophets um and and that is what makes it really hard for a lot of people i think to understand i mean my gosh the last few years has just been a circus 
um, culturally and and particularly within the church uh, yeah. and a lot of a lot of really important issues have been raised. I think of you know um, the, the look, just the exercise of leadership within the church um, and the abuse of leadership within the church. I think of how the church um, uh, relationship to issues of racial justice and, and mm-hmm. social justice. Um, the church's uh, public witness, um, you know, in in light of a lot of the the just the political part and partisanship that we're experienced, like all of these are really really important issues that the church in America needs to be wrestling with. But what has muddied the waters is a lot of self appointed prophets who speak into that void. Um, and I think that, you know, and, and this is a, this is a really deft transition to, uh, how we, how we want to close this conversation out, but that's what makes this all the more important that we see prophecy, um, as primarily taking place within the the loving framework of a local church. Yeah. That's where it is most fruitful and effective Agreed. and most easily discerned. And so I want to go into, as we close, 1 Corinthians 14. We were there last week as we talked about the gift of tongues. And Paul in this passage is, is uh, correcting this overinflated view of the gift of tongues in the Corinthian church. Um, and, uh, and he is saying, you know, he's correcting that by, um, by lifting up prophecy. And he says at the beginning of chapter 14, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. So how, how, how should prophecy be practiced within our local church context? So I think that those verses about um, the role of prophecy for believers and the role of tongues from believers <laughs> ought to chill us if most of our prophetic efforts are pointed outward toward the world. Uh, if most of our prophetic efforts are to say uh, how big a sinner everybody is, um, newsflash, everybody's a sinner. Uh, newsflash, people without God are going to live like people without God. And if your prophetic efforts are designed towards uh, confronting sin in the world uh, primarily and not confronting the sin in the church, um, that's a that that's a problem right and it's not going to be attractive to unbelievers it's not going to be helpful and it's not going to use prophecy in the correct way which is showing love for the church 
So this is one in which, um, let's take the, the issue of um, racial reconciliation, racial injustice. And, uh, if we as a church, if we point all of our efforts right now at uh, outward at the world, well, guess what, man? The world has had racial um, sin for all of time. I think where there's a lot of fruit and where a lot of positive change can take place is if we as a church start prophesying against uh, racial disunity within our own ranks. I mean, quite honestly, if we as a church cleaned up, our, our, cleaned up our act, uh, the state of race relations in society as a, as a whole, and at least in this country would drastically improve. One of the chief, um, encouragers to racial injustice has been unfortunately the testimony of the white church has not been uh an ally has not been a tool of the kingdom to advance justice uh it's been an instrument of continued oppression and it and i'm not talking about i'm not talking about uh, the world i'm not talking about you know the broader social construct i'm just talking about us in our churches you know the the policies that we in our churches have uh supported over you know the last uh several hundred years you know as we as we talk about the things that we in our churches do today um when we call those things out in the context of church we express the love of jesus for all of his people and we hold ourselves accountable, and the world sees that. Instead of the world saying, wow, y'all are a bunch of hypocrites because you talk about love and peace and joy, and yet, you know, look how segregated Sunday morning is. If the world sees that we are serious about dealing with our own stuff, that suddenly creates an environment of, uh, of exaltation of Jesus, right? The people of God take their sins seriously, and they – uh, they are living with clean hands as opposed to, well, there's blood on your guys' hands too. So I, that's, that's where I see prophecy as being, you know, powerful when we direct it uh, at uh, cleaning up our own act first. And I think that creates positive testimony. Yeah. And I think you can say that about, you know, we had an opportunity a few months ago to talk about what it means to be pro-life Yes. And I think a lot of the pro-life movement within uh, evangelical circles is is almost exclusively directed towards the world. Um, and yet there's a lot that we aren't doing within the church that we're yes. neglecting. Yeah, and it's, um, that hip- it's that hypocrisy which weakens our, the, the overall message. Yeah, it does. And I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I feel like most of the the charges of hypocrisy that are leveled against the church by our culture are true. Are pretty like fair. They, they, yep. they, I mean, I think it's it. You know, we can brush those things off and just you know not pay attention to them. But I mean, most of them are are they have some weight, and we need to examine those. Um, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that we either have quiet. You know, we've hushed prophets that have tried to point these things out or and i think this is probably more the case than not um we boxed prophecy out of our church and so we're not hearing these hard words we're not hearing these calls to repentance and and uh calls for examination um i think paul 
Yeah, and when we do, so like, look, you know, let's take some of the things. I was trying to make some points about how we as believers should behave in a, if we in our churches are going to be pro-life. And, and you know, I had some folks, uh, especially when I spoke uh, at other congregations, that got a little uh, riled up about some of that, some of the things I said, no, especially as never. we connected it especially as we connected it to, they connected it to like national political things, which wasn't the point. The point was just like, Hey, here, how are we going to live right here in Indianapolis right now? Forget about national, forget about everything else. What are we going to do? What kind of people are we going to be? And that gets lost, right? That's the key element of prophecy is it's not these just blanket, broad general statements about how bad this or that is, right? That's not helpful. Uh, appropriate prophecy should look at our lives and say, here's how our lives aren't lining up with Jesus. Let's have a good testimony about Jesus. Let's us right here, right now to Andrew, to your point earlier about it taking place in the context of community. If I'm just firing blanket pot shots, right. About American culture, not super helpful. Right. Um, and that can be true about almost any issue, you know, racial reconciliation, whatever. Uh, it's hard to be wrong if you're super general. But when we start getting specific, when we start meddling with, okay, so what are we doing? What do our dinner tables look like? You know, do they have, um, do, <laughs> who's, who's coming to dinner at our house? Are we having people from different ethnicities around our dinner table? Are we having um, uh, women who uh, ha are, victims of domestic violence or abuse around our, around our dinner table? Are our homes open to people in need? Um, are we really caring about life? Do we care about the elderly? Do we care about uh, vulnerable peoples? Uh, that, that gets a little hard, you know, <laughs> like suddenly I have to do something with that as opposed to just be like, yeah, you're right. I'm mad. Yeah. And, and I think that's a good point, Nate, because just like with anything, we're, we're influenced, we can be influenced by our broader culture. We're in this moment of outrage culture yeah, where it's yeah. just, it's almost enough just to rage against something, but there's, there's not that incisive, here's what, you, here's what we need to do yeah. um, specifically. And again, all of this comes back to the fact that prophecy is not just raging out into the void but that the purpose of prophecy and the when prophecy is most fruitful is when it is practiced and received in the context of a local church where you know people mm -hmm. uh where you know what's going on where you have a shared life together um and not to be forgotten as paul says in this passage that when somebody speaks what they say must be weighed it must be vetted. I mean, that's the job of the elders is to say like, okay, hey, that, that probably wasn't good or that wasn't in the spirit of prophecy. But I think, of you know, uh, we mentioned this before we started recording, but, um, you know, last fall, we, uh, we, we talked about uh, orphan care on a Sunday and we had uh, one of our girls, Caitlin, um, just stand up and just give us a, a, a really powerful word yeah, strong. about hospitality and what that looks like for our church and what that means to the most vulnerable in our society. 
And I, I remember, Nate, you stood up after that to pray and, um, and, and you affirmed that. And, and you, you know, said like what we've just heard that that's something from the Lord, like that is, and we affirm that. And, and that is in line with first Corinthians 14. That's what, what Paul says has to happen because then that takes on weight um, yes. in a good way for people when they hear that, because it's like, Oh, okay. Like that now our, our pastors who we trust and we follow and we, we have, we have put ourselves uh, under whom we have put our, put ourselves for care have affirmed that and said, you should listen to that. And you should, you should give, um, give weight to that. So, you know, not everyone, Paul says, not everyone can jump up and speak in a gathering. Not everyone, you know, there's some order for how this should look like, uh, how this should look within the church. Um, what, when people do say things, it has to be weighed. It has to be discerned. Two or at the um, most three at a time, you know? Right. It must in be one Sunday, yeah. and under control. Yeah. You know, you can't have everybody just shouting out and everything. But I don't know how it gets much clearer than what he says at the end of this passage. He says, if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everybody is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their heart are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God exclaiming, God is really among I mean, that's what we want, right? Like yeah. we want people to be saved. We want people to be convicted of sin and, and come to God and see and, and really see what God is like and have transformation. And Paul is, I don't know how he could be clearer here. If you're prophesying and there are unbelievers in your midst, that's going to happen. Yeah. And I think that this is where too, you start realizing, you know, a lot of the big black eyes that churches have had over the years from scandals, from cover-ups, from things like that. That's what happens in an environment in which the spirit of prophecy isn't present. You know what I mean? Where sin is obscured as opposed to revealed, where whether it's theft, whether it's the abuse of children, you know, whether it's uh, abusive treatment by authority figures of people underneath them, any of the, the sort of major thing, you know, financial malfeasance, um, racism, any of these things that, that sort of come out over time that's like, wow, a lot of people covered that up. Those are churches in which they've quenched the spirit of prophecy because the, the Holy Spirit should be impressing and is impressing upon people to bring hypocrisy and sin out into the open, to expose it to to the the light of day and if we do that with ourselves people will see that and be like wow these people are serious they're serious about righteous living they are serious about you know following moral principles and to them that may be all it is at that time they may not really see mm -hmm. it or understand it fully as being the spirit of jesus yet but if they're like wow these people are serious about not th about theft these people are serious about transparency and honesty these people are serious about sexual abuse these people are serious about racial injustice because they talk this way about themselves and they call they hold themselves accountable uh then they'll be able to see wow that, that's not how i live that, or i have those same problems and look at these people responding and god's spirit just 
convicts them and they, they result in worship. And I, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing when it happens. And it's why we have to continue to practice uh, the ministry of prophecy with our people. It's why we have to give space for the spirit of God to empower people to speak prophetically. And hopefully, you know, when we gather on most Sunday mornings, I, there's opportunities for two or three prophets to speak up. We, you know, this is why we have liturgists. This is why uh, we have room for the folks who are leading worship, why we have our prayers for the city, um, as well as our, our normal teaching time. Those are all opportunities, organized opportunities for a spirit of prophecy to take place. And then why, when we gather in our homes, there's even more opportunity. <laughs> Those tend to be ways in which we're surfacing. Wow, people are passionate about this. People have needs or, or people have um, things that God's put on their heart. And we try to expose the broader Soma Northwest community to that because that's, that's the spirit of prophecy, the testimony of Jesus through his people. Yeah, I think that's a good place to, to end our conversation here as we think about um, what prophecy could look like in our church specifically um, and how it can benefit those of us who are part of Soma Northwest. Again, all of this is to be done for the edification of the church, for the building of the body. God loves us and wants us to be healthy and whole. And as we are whole, as we are experiencing his love, as we are, as we are unified, then we will more accurately display who he is to the world Amen. so that others, when they see Soma Northwest, they can say, I know what God is like because I see them, because I see how they love each other. Um, and I see how serious they are about being people of righteousness and justice um, and people who live in this world for the good of others. Andrew, any, any closing thoughts from you? Not my driveway, so it's going to be loud here. <laughs> um, other than just to say, this this uh, has been another helpful conversation for me. I really love doing this with you guys. I'm just really grateful for Soma. Um, I would encourage people, in particular in this time where we're separated, don't get, just don't be passive about your participation in the work of God through His church in this time. It's easy to think, well, it's hard to get on a Zoom call, or I've been on Zoom calls all day, and I just don't want to get back on there. Just be aware, um, because this is this is where spiritual drift starts to happen, and why it's important for these gifts to be exercised in the context of community people you know and you're engaged with. Um, th that was just on my mind as we were having this conversation. Just wanted to encourage people to stay plugged in and stay connected, not just so that we can see your faces and things like that, but so that you can hear God's word spoken from His people, from people you know and love. Amen. Amen. Nate, why don't you uh, close this time in prayer, prayer for our people this week. Lord Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for your spirit. We thank you that your spirit fills us and binds us together in love to be a holy temple in which you dwell. Lord, we pray that your spirit would speak words of prophecy to us, that it would convict us of sin, that it would help us to love each other better, that it would not cease to call us to be men and women of purity, 
that it would help us to know how to love our neighbors better, how to love our community, how to expand your kingdom. I thank you for your incredible wisdom that expresses itself in diverse and special ways throughout all of your people. And I thank you uh, for the incredible gifts of love that you've given to your body. And I pray that our people will eagerly desire love above all gifts. Lord, I pray that our people would eagerly desire to prophesy, that they would uh, thirst for your word, that they would be grounded in it, that they would read it, and that they would see with vision the world in which they live and the context in which they live and be able to have the ability to apply your word to their lives and to the lives of their loved ones around them so that we would be constantly growing into maturity and, and reflecting you and the fullness of you in every way. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for your spirit. Amen. Amen. Nate, thanks. Andrew, thank you. And those of you listening, thanks for tuning in again this week. Grace and peace to you and the blessing of Jesus Christ on you. We'll catch you next time.